Well, tonight we are going to go over, it is part three of our series, which is titled The Nature, the Purpose, and the Power of Scripture. So what we've been going over, we've been going over the origin of scriptures. We've learned about how the Bible is a gift from God. The words and and the pages of scripture, they are divinely inspired. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit um, played a key role into the writing of scripture. We had talked about how scripture is God-breathed. And what's very interesting is how we talk about God breathed the breath of life into us when we're born, if you will. And in the same manner, in the same way, God breathes his life into the word of God. And so we've been going over that. And tonight we're going to go over the titles and the names of scripture. Um, Oh, we also, before we get into this, we also talked about the the authors of scripture we went over the prophets we went over the apostles we went over the idea of christ being the center of it all that christ is the creator the redeemer and the sustainer Um, just as a little sneak peek uh, we'll be doing a sermon series on christ the creator redeemer and sustainer i have found in uh in studying philemon and in preparing these Bible studies that there's this repeated language in there about creator, Christ the creator, Christ the redeemer, and Christ the sustainer keeping things together. Uh, We also talked about the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel. And one of the big things with that is this idea that the word of God being divinely inspired, right? As time is going on, the writers are writing in their they're writing the word of God down. It wasn't known at the time, but we get to see what was revealed, and that's this mystery of the gospel. Well, the mystery revealed is that Christ provides salvation for everyone instead of just God's chosen people, instead of just the Jewish people. It is a way for everyone. So there, we, we talked a great deal about the language of the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of Christ. And so this is where it brings us to the titles and the name of scriptures. Um, you have, we have our sheets. Um, I, I don't know if you had one there. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, feel free to get one. Um, But before we go any further, I want us to just go ahead, let's open in a word of prayer, and then we'll get right to it. So Father, we thank you for your holy word. Your word has life in it. It is the story of redemption. There is so much wisdom and insight, knowledge um, that we can learn. And the word of God is a means for us to um, have the knowledge of who you are, have that saving knowledge to be able to make a decision for you. And it also has the ability for us to grow in you, to grow closer to you, and to exhibit lives that are holy. Um, There's so much that we are blessed with We're blessed with this gift of life, and we're blessed with the life-giving word. So we thank you for just giving us the time and this opportunity for us to come together and study your word. It is truly a blessing, 
And I'm reminded of when scripture says that when two or three are gathered in my name, in your name, there you are with us. So be here with us tonight as we are just going through um, a couple verses. Um, The more we study scripture, the more we find connections and uh, we learn more about you. So uh, may our minds be open to learning more about you and may our hearts um, be moved to live and love like you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. We all say together, amen. So tonight uh, we will be going through, um, the original plan is to go through eight, nine verses, but in writing this, just going over the first three was a task. And certainly you'll there will be a lot of really good depth in this idea of the title and the names of scriptures. So the first question I want to ask you, I'd like to put it on the slide here. Feel free to interact or, um, oh, there's the sheet, sir. If you want to grab a sheet, it's right on the table, right as you come up the stairs. Yes. (laughs) So I want to ask you, how many different names or titles do you think of when you think of the Bible, right? I I know immediately I think of the Word of God, but what, what are some other names you can think of? So we are going over that first question um, on, on your sheet. So what I was mentioning is you'll have on your sheet the kind of the outline of what we're doing, and there's questions for reflection or discussion. Um, feel free to answer the questions as they come along or just write them down. It's really up to you which way you prefer to. Um, and as I was mentioning, there are eight, nine verses about the titles and the names of the Word of God that we will be going over. And as I was writing all of this together, um, I found that the first three were very challenging and very insightful. So this will be part one of the titles and the name of Scripture. Um, I didn't realize there's such depth just on the name of of the Word of God. Um, So I was asking, um, how many different names or titles for the Bible can you think of? I mean, it, it could be something you've called the Bible or something you've heard. I'm kind of curious. So feel free to answer or reflect on your paper. I was, yeah, so, and, and that's okay. You know, there's, there's some phrases that you may have heard of before. It may be growing up, the good news, the gospel message, um, And you'll find in here, there's a couple names of scripture. The first one here you'll see is the implanted word. And that's going to be in James 121. We won't go there yet. But the implanted word. And then the second one I I thought was very interesting is this idea of spiritual milk. Some translations, and we'll go further into this, say spiritual milk of the word. And others just call it spiritual milk. And it's this idea that milk, you receive nourishment from the word of God. Okay, that makes sense. But it's just interesting there's a translation difference. So we'll go over that. And then, of course, the word of God, which is found in Hebrews 4.12. So what I'd like us to do, since this is a Bible study, I'd like us to go. I'm going to put it on the slide here. Turn your Bibles to James chapter one chapter one verse 21 or page 1199 in the ESV pew Bible uh, feel free to use really whatever 
translation you prefer, but I do have the option of having the page number as well. And one of the things is you get used to uh, seeing the, uh, the page number <laughs> on there. So it's going to be James chapter 1, verse 21. And it says in here, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive the meekness, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, contextually, you have James, the brother of Jesus, right? He's reminding the brothers previously to be quick to hear, right? To be slow to speak and slow to anger. And in the previous verses, you're seeing this call to really behave, if you will, to be more like Christ, right? When we're talking about the brethren, when we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, it is this idea of being more like the Lord. It's a call for James to put away filthiness and, and rampant wickedness, if you will, which is some pretty strong language. So the Greek words that are used in this verse, you have filthiness, which is um, something that is dirty or something that is filthy. Um, obviously, there's other translations of that. I'm just going with what the Greek is defining it. And then you have um, rampant wickedness. So it's this idea of an abundance of evil or an abundance of wickedness or naughty behavior, if you will. And we see here that James, he's writing to the 12 tribes to turn from their evil ways and to receive in meekness. Receive in meekness. So what do you, what do you mean meekness, right? Receiving in mildness or humility, right? Well, what are we talking about? We're talking about the implanted word here. Now, that's an interesting choice of word, the implanted word. It is the only time in scripture that that word actually shows up, which is very interesting. Um, we know word being logos or logos, um, translated as word, but the type of word is talking about the implanted word and saying, okay, which is able to save souls. So what does that mean? You find that the word word is the similar as the beginning of John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. But like I said, implanted is something that's unique. It's the only time in all of scripture that that word shows up. So since there's no other times that this word shows up, that makes it a little more difficult because oftentimes you see certain words or phrasings that are used in scripture, you can find connections with other scripture. So we have to really go further to figure out, well, what do you mean by implanted? And there exists a, on your sheet, if you go, let's see here. Uh, no, not on your sheet. There's a beautiful connection, which is found in Colossians 3.16, which we won't even go over through tonight. But it's talking about the indwelling of the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell within you. So there's a parallel there. But there's another parallel that we find with the implanted word, which is found in the parable of the sower. So I'm going to put that on the slide. It's on the back of your notes here. The parable of the sower and the seed. Some of you may know this one. It's 
obviously a different a, di a difficult parable to go over because like any parable there are truths that are sometimes they're easy to understand sometimes they're difficult to understand and they have deep truths in them so in this particular um, parable it's found in matthew mark and luke not in john but by reading all three of them i i put this on here for you as um, additional reading. We're not going to go through every every um, instance that this shows up, but I found it very interesting on the back of your notes in Luke chapter 8 verse 11. You don't have to turn there. It's just on the back of your sheet. The parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And I found that to be very interesting, right? We're talking about the implanted word, which is found in James chapter 1 verse 21. And then we see this parable with the parable of the seed and the soil. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 11, you see it explicitly saying, the seed is the word of God. And so let's think of it. God, God desires for us to be saved, right? To come to the knowledge of knowing who God is. And we know that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So the word of Christ that is mentioned in Colossians 3.16, which we're not going over, but we will, <laughs> it's this idea that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So you have the word of God, which is the seed, which is implanted. So when we're talking about the implanted word, we're talking about the seed that leads us to knowledge of having faith in Jesus Christ, belief in the Lord, and further, that seed will grow, which will allow for us to grow in the faith. And I found that to be such an interesting um, connection there. It was certainly a difficult one finding what in the world do you mean the implanted word? And so the question that I want to put on the slide here is, you know, when we think about the parable of the sower and the seed, um, what type of soil is your heart? And, and do you need to work on your heart? And that's certainly a question that, um, you know, we can all think about. There's the different types of soil. And the main one we need to focus on is the good soil right? Not, not the thorns, right? Not on the wayside or the roadside, but focusing on good soil, which is receiving the seed and allowing the seed to grow in us, so to speak. And so I just thought that was very interesting. So take time to either um, answer it in, in, on your notes or feel free to answer the question out loud. What is that, what is that verse where it says to... Um, Keep, keep the word in your heart, right? Um, gosh, it's slipping me right now. But holding on to the word is something that is very important to do, that if you don't understand the word, sometimes you have to really work at it to try to understand it, and other times you have to just put it to the side. Um, in working on this implanted word one, this was one I worked on a few hours to try to understand what in the world the implanted word meant, which is why there's the mentioning of when we hear about faith comes through hearing 
hearing through the word of Christ, right? So there's a lot of this parallel with the seed being implanted by it comes through the word of God, it comes from the word of God, and that comes from the preaching and the teaching of God's word. So on one end, you have the planting of the seed, and then the second part, when we're looking at the parable of the sower and the the soils, the, the seed, is how does that grow? How, how does that seed, what does that turn out to be, right? Will the seed grow on, go on good soil and grow? So receiving the implanted word, right? It's the word of God. It comes from hearing. So the, it says that the implanted word has the ability to save souls. Now, I found that very difficult because when you're reading that, you're like, okay, You need to receive the word with humility. It's able to save souls. Are you saying that, is that a works-based verse or not? It's not because the implanted word goes onto the soil. Well, what, what becomes of that? How are you going to respond by the hearing of God's word? So oftentimes when we think of the imagery of throwing the seed onto the ground, well, not every seed is going to plant. And that's like us, the soil. Are we going to absorb the word of God and respond to it by faith, by the manifestation of um, receiving the word of God, the fruits that come from it? So there's a lot of that language that's found in the word of God. So when we speak of this, it's, us responding to God's word, it also has to do with our heart. It has to do with us having the good soil, hearing the word, understanding it, and accepting it. And I wrote here what James is saying is, James is saying in in this verse, turn from your evil ways and receive the seed, the implanted word. Let it take root, if you will. And it has the ability to save your soul. Because James is writing to an audience where some are unbelievers, some are believers. So the transformative power of the word will be able to save your soul. If you are already a Christian, if you will, you'll have the growing stage, right? Where we go from the spiritual milk of the word into mature, um, being a mature Christian. So there's a lot of tie-ins there. James is writing to that wide audience, so there's the ability to save souls. And realize that the implanted word, that is God's word, that is being preached, it is being, it's being taught. The word must be taught to the new believer, it must be preached to the new believer, and it's also to the seasoned Christian, right? Every day that we are a Christian, we study God's word, we hear God's word, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully we grow and we learn as we are going. And certainly if you're not being challenged or you're not growing, then it may be, it may be your heart, it may be where you're at in life. There's a lot of different variables. And I'm not saying that in a critical tone, I'm just saying always be on that trajectory of growth and if you're in a season where you're not growing that's not always a bad thing try to you know keep on a trajectory it might just be the season of life that you're in where you're having a dry spell if you will 
Um, but it's always this continual growth and the seed that is growing in in you, if you will. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, part of being a Christian is when we talk about the transformative power of the gospel, right? Part of it is realizing, you know, the role of Jesus Christ, right? His redemption, his death on the cross and what that means to you and how you respond to that. So you believe in Jesus Christ and you are saved. So from the non-believer standpoint, it is responding to that, to responding to Jesus's call. When you're talking about the heart of a Christian after you've been saved, it's allowing for God to, I always use the word working in and through you. Because when you think about the joy that comes from the Lord, the peace that comes from the Lord, a lot of that is, um, they call it working on your salvation. And I always don't, I don't like those kind of words, but it's talking about you're already saved. There's a, there is the process of sanctification as opposed to justification. And what that means is you being saved, that is the start. From that starting point, there is the purification, the cleansing, the cleaning up, the seeing of of the intentions of your heart, if you will. Because one thing that you'll notice is oftentimes when you read Scripture, in the same way it convicts you or moves you to make a decision for Christ, it will also convict you and move you to change your behaviors. So think about the Christian who, let's say, they just became a Christian and they're still living a sinful life. Let's just say that. Well, if they continue on it, there will be a time where the Holy Spirit will convict them, will move them and say, hey, you need to clean up your act. You need to stop um, stealing. You need to stop um, cheating on your wife. You need to stop um, sinning or whatever it is. And just you allow for that transformation. And I think one of the difficult things, uh, you know, being in pastoral ministry is on one end, you want to see people change, but on another end, you have to allow God to work through them. And I've seen it very often where, um, and I'm not criticizing any pastor, or mind you when I'm saying this, but sometimes you'll see, it's like, hey, don't you realize you need to change now, right? You, you, you got to turn from your, your sin or whatever it is. Well, yes, but it's the balls in their court. Your, your, your job is to preach and teach the word of God and allow for the Lord to convict people. Now, if somebody is convicted and they want to have a conversation, that's very different, right? Having that discussion. Um, but I do think God does work on your heart. Part of it, as you're growing, there's growing pains, right? Sometimes like, do, do I have, you know, I, I don't want to change God. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do the right thing, whatever it is. Um, that can be very difficult. And it's just, how do you respond to that conviction? And sometimes we're not ready. Sometimes we are ready. So there's a lot of that in there. So I, I hope I hope that answers your, your, your question. Yes. So when we think of, let's say you're on, you're with all of your friends, right? And let's just say all of you are, let's just say alcoholics, right? And all of you are living a certain lifestyle, always getting drunk, always doing something. You come to the Lord. 
you make a decision for Christ. You might still drink. Let's be honest here. There might still be times you get drunk and still hang out with your friends. You may even try to minister to them as you're growing. There comes a point where it's like, they're not changing. I need to pray for them. And it is frustrating, right? When you see that they're not changing and maybe they're slowly making that and they're not where you're at. In terms of, you know, attending church and and the community, there is, I always like how when we talk about the church, that it is a community of believers. It is the body of Christ where we help each other, whatever is going on, right? When we talk about prayer requests and prayers answered, there's the celebration of when God answers prayers, and then there's the time where we need to pray and ask God for divine intervention in whether that's God's healing hand or whether that's wisdom to make a decision. Um, maybe it's not an easy decision or maybe it's just a decision you're not ready to make. Um, there's definitely a lot of that. And in terms of, you know, I always encourage, I, I want to encourage people to come to church even if your spouse isn't coming because hearing the word of God when we're talking about the implanted word some translations say the engrafted word of God Um, when you go back home you can be a light to your spouse and I know it's it gets on a very touchy subject, you know, is, is the husband or is this wife, or let's just say the spouse, is the spouse a believer or not? Is the spouse, where is their heart at? And, you know, certainly sometimes the heart of a spouse does change. Sometimes it doesn't. And that's a very difficult thing. I can think of one story that I know. I, I know a family who the husband wanted nothing to do with the church and in fact the wife faithfully came with the children and as time went on she would pray that her husband would change and the church prayed for this man because of how worldly let's just say and over time God worked on his heart and it softened his heart the man became a believer in Christ the man became baptized in the faith now it's not to say it was smooth sailing not at all but there was a progression and knowing him for as long as i have known him (laughs) seeing from where he was to where he is is just wonderful just seeing that the transformed heart you know and and that's certainly a prayer when we think of any family member or spouse that doesn't attend, how can we pray for them? A lot of life obligations, right? You have school, right? You have sports, you have... Sometimes it's just as simple as uh, having a job. You know, there's lots of young people I know where they get a job at, let's just say, Subway or Jack in the Box and... The boss says you're working on Sunday, and, and if you don't, you're out of there. And that's that's a, also a tough yeah. thing. It's, it's definitely a part of it is the culture we live in, and the other part of it is if they don't want to go. And it's certainly, um, there's different sides to that. But it is very unfortunate when you see 
young people, young kids not um, not coming not coming to church. Let's go ahead and turn to First Peter. I'm going to put that on the slide here. First uh, Peter chapter two verse two. It's going to be on page twelve hundred and four in our pew Bibles. And since we're talking about um, talking about children, I am on the wrong page. I think this verse really sticks out here. Let me. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And in verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, in this verse, I said we're talking about the names of Scripture. Where is the word word in there? Right? Where is Holy Scripture? Where, where, where is that in here? Well, what's interesting is that word spiritual that shows up in, in the verse. We know the word milk, obviously, is literally milk, right? As like a newborn child drinks from the bottle, or you think of an animal that's drinking their mother's milk, if you will. So that's pretty self-explanatory. But the word spiritual, it can be defined as spiritual or reasonable, or some translations say of the word. And what I want to do, I want to put this slide up here. You'll find this slide, there's differences in translations. And although it's not logos, it is referring to the word. It's just how it's translated. So in the, in the New American Standard Bible, the King James, the New King James, and the CSB, I think it's the Common Standard Bible, it is the milk of the word. And in the NIV, the New Living Translation, our English uh, Standard Bibles, the Holman Christian, that's what it is, Christian Standard Bible, not common, Holman Christian Standard Bible, and the, I believe that's the Amplified Standard Bible, uses the word spiritual milk. It is, they both mean the same thing. It can mean of the word, and it can mean spiritual, but it, it's talking about the um, the spirituality that comes from the milk, right? The Greek word that is being used, it's only twice used in all of Scripture, right? The spiritual milk of the word, or spiritual milk, if you will. If you look at the back of your notes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, you see written here, this is the only other time where the word spiritual shows up. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Some of us know this one. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's the only other time that word shows up. So um, it could mean the reasonable. It could mean the wordly worship. It could mean one of those things, at least. So regardless of the translation we can see that there is a call in this uh, first Peter verse for us to begin on spiritual milk, which comes from the word of God. We would say that that's the basic understanding of 
what the Bible is all about. You know, one of the big things that I've kind of learned as a pastor, as I've been in ministry for so many years, is that you always have to go back to the basics because you cannot assume who is or who isn't saved or who who knows the Lord and who doesn't know the Lord. That's a big reason why I always try and and, and the sermons that I write or that the sermons that I preach to always go back to Jesus and making that decision for Christ. Um, even if we all know the Lord, that's okay. I don't know who's saved and I don't know who um, who is or isn't saved. And I cannot assume that everyone is, even if that, even if everyone is. There's also the time for a rededication of your life. Sometimes you need to go back to the basics when you're going through a trial or a tribulation. Sometimes it's good to go back to the basics. It's like when you learn music or when you're if you're an athlete or if you're a baseball player, sometimes you have to go back over the technique, the basics of your understanding of your craft or something that you've studied or something that you're good at. It's good to be reminded of the spiritual milk, right? Okay. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. We probably, Some of us have probably heard that a thousand times. But when we talk about our hearts at times, maybe our hearts have been hardened. Maybe there's a situation, I, I know there's times where I've, I've struggled and I needed to be reminded of that. Maybe the Lord needs to work on your heart a little bit. You know, there's, there is that. So it's good to be reminded of the basics. We all go from milk to that solid food, if you will. Now, that's not explicitly mentioned in the First Peter passage, but it goes on to solid food in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14, which talks about you need milk, not solid food, right? You need to go back to, um, you need to go back to the basics. And sometimes when we become like the Pharisees, where we get so legalistic or we get so caught up in, you know, which translation is the best translation or, you know, all men need to shave their, their beards or whatever. When you start getting onto those things, you need to check yourself. You need to check your heart. There, there's a, I know it's a worldly saying, but I think there's a lot of truth in it. You need to check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? You need to check your heart before you do damage to yourself or do damage to others. And what I mean by that is you can really hurt another Christian. You can really hurt a brother or sister in Christ if through legalism. That's why you think of Jesus when he's rebuking the Pharisees so much, if you will, right? These people who were so fixated on things outside of the word. That's why we have to focus on the milk of the word, the basics, and then grow from that and occasionally remind ourselves. In other words, it's okay to have milk (laughs) with your meal. If you're having a nice spaghetti dinner or a steak dinner or just chicken or whatever, it's nice to have a glass of milk every so often, whether that's literally the dinner you have, but also the truth when it comes to the word of God. Remind yourself of the basics from time to time. There's no harm in that. And what we found with the James verse, just like what we found in the James verse, there is the call for Christians to turn from their evil ways. So interesting, right? Um, and I and that's contextually in the First Peter, right, where we're talking about you got to turn from your evil ways. And we talk about James, right? 
There is the reliance that the spiritual milk or milk of the word, it helps us to grow in our faith, much like the implanted seed. It helps us grow. Um, Now, when it says grow into our salvation, it's not talking about the this idea and and this unfortunately some of these verses can get very easily taken out of context okay you know you have to work your way into salvation you know you have to you have to work on your seed so to speak then then no 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 no. don't overcomplicate it and and i know unfortunately the book of james is very often misquoted what we're talking about especially for the Peter passage, is when it's saying grow into our salvation, it is the continued growing that happens from being saved, right? When I talk about um, justification and sanctification, right? Once you're saved, this is great. Now continue in the purification process. Continue in your salvation, if you will, right? You're, you're building upon that foundation, if you will. And when we're talking about the implanted word, that word, the word of God will lead you to know Christ through faith, and it will also lead you to grow, to build upon that faith, to build upon that foundation. And I think what's very sad is sometimes we get that a little bit confused. It's very difficult even explaining it now. But all that to say, implanted word, The word of God will lead you to Christ. From leading you to Christ, it will lead you to do good, right? It will make you more like Christ, right? When we talk about sanctification, right? Talk being more like Jesus, knowing that you're saved, right? The milk of the word, when we're talking about growing from drinking from the bottle, if you will, drinking the milk of the word of God, also same thing, growing from once being saved. I know that's a little more difficult here, but it's something we need to keep in mind, we need to consider. So I want to make that, I wanted to just bring that up, that it is receiving salvation and growing through our salvation, growing in our salvation that's already existent. So when we make a decision for Christ, it's the beginning of our new life and our new identity in Christ. From the moment of being justified, we are on a path where God will work in and through us. Like how we talked about earlier, making a decision for Christ, that is the beginning. You think of graduation, right? The commencement ceremony, right? Is that the end? (laughs) It's not an ending ceremony. And unfortunately, I think culturally we think it's the end. Like, oh, you graduated. Yay, you're good to go. Well, no, the commencement is the beginning of your education, if you will. And that's tough for students who have gone through a four-year degree or whatever, you know, high school or college. What do you mean this is the beginning? I, I want this to be over with. But it's the beginning of a lifelong process. So in this way, it's you are saved. That is the beginning. That is the commencement, if you will. And from the commencement, you are going to grow. You are going to learn more about what it means to be a Christian. You're going to learn more about the Word of God, and hopefully, Lord willing, you'll produce fruit from that. It's just like how Scripture says they, you will know someone by their fruit, right? What kind of fruit are you producing? 
I think about that even as, even as a pastor, how pastors are measured differently than other Christians. And that's a very scary thing to think about. Well, what kind of fruit is going to be produced here? And I hope it's going to be good fruit, not uh, nasty fruit, you know. Um, but the idea, though, is keep this in mind when we're thinking of the implanted word and spiritual milk, that it's the commencement, right? You make a decision for Christ. Now begin your life in Christ. So when you're saying grow in salvation, right, you're growing from that point when you make that decision. And it's very beautiful language. Again, unfortunately, that's not easily understood by, um, let's just say, baby Christians, if you will, and unbelievers. They'll take that completely out of context. They'll say, well, look, um, Spiritual milk of the word, uh, the implanted word, I need to work my way to salvation. See, there you go. They, they would take that out of context. It takes very intentional effort to be able to understand this. So it's the, in other words, ongoing salvation. You have the salvation, you're saved in Christ. Ongoing salvation. Doing good in the name of God. So we've gone over the idea that in this entire study, we've gone over the divine inspiration of the word, right? The Holy Spirit had his hand in the writing of the Bible, the overwhelming feeling, right? And I know that's always a weird word. You're getting overwhelmed, right? This sense of um, motivation, if you will, this inspiration to write the word of God. And when we've talked about with... Um, the, uh, let's see, sometimes the apostles, they would dictate to have the word written. It's the same thing, getting that overwhelming fe feeling from the Spirit. And I mentioned at the beginning here that God breathed his life into man just as he breathed his life, or into humans, just as he breathed his life into the word. I'm reminded of Genesis 2, 7, which says, The Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So God is the giver of life, and to know that there is life in the word is very difficult language for a non-believer, if you think about it. What do you mean the Bible gives me life? It's just a book. They'll, they'll think of things like that, but something that I'm learning as a a Christian as a pastor is that sometimes unbelievers, non-believers, yet to believers, whatever they are, people who aren't Christian, things will be protected from others that are not Christian. And that's very difficult when you think about that, right? Because we know in scripture that God will give someone up to lust, if you will, right? They'll be lost in their lust and their desires and their sinful ways. We know about that. But the idea that God would protect his word from evil people, if you will, or people who are not Christian yet, that's a very radical belief, you know? It's, a, it's an amazing belief to know that God protects his own word, right? And I just find great comfort in that because that encourages it should encourage all of us as Christians that when we, the things that are revealed to us, they're not always going to get. And I say they as in non-believers, right? I'm not saying they're, you know, 
yes, we're all equal in the eyes of God, but what's being revealed to us is going to be different than what's revealed to them. So when we're, like when, we've, when I've talked about before, the mystery of the gospel and the mystery of Christ, well, that was the revelation of salvation being free to everyone. That was a big deal. If you're thinking about the Jewish people, God's chosen people, the bond, right, between the Jewish people and God, that was exclusive, if you will. Well, now, because of Christ's salvation, salvation is beyond the Jewish people. It is beyond, right, now it is the Gentile and the Jew. That's why you see the language, um, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's no neither slave nor free, right? We're all one in the Lord, right? We're talking about um, whosoever believes in it. It's not just the Jewish people that they'll be saved, but that everyone will be saved. That's the mystery. And that's not always understood by people, right? So some of the things we're going over, we have to realize that um, some of our friends who aren't Christian won't understand it. And, it. and I know that's frustrating. You want them to understand the things you do, but you can't always assume that. So just as God breathed in the, into his life, into us, he's breathed his life into his words. I'd like for us to think of this question, how does it feel to know that the same God who breathed, breathed life into you also breathed his life into his word? How, like what kind of feeling does that give you? The connections in scripture are... They should help us in our faith, um, seeing things that, I mean, it's a big reason why I constantly say in sermons, like, you can't look at the Bible as one book. You know, it's, it's not one, I mean, technically it's one book, one author, if you really want to get technical because the Lord inspired the writers, you could say that. But what, what I mean is you're talking over in different writers, different time periods, right? Things that, why is that written that way, <laughs> you know? Um, when we've talked about Christ as the creator, redeemer, and sustainer, it's very bizarre language to someone who's not really a believer. What do you mean Jesus was at the creation of, of the universe? What, what do you mean by that? Because when you're reading Genesis, God said that there'd be light and there was light. That's pretty cut and dry. What do you mean Jesus was there, right? And when you see, let us make man in our own image, for example, and then you see other verses that talk about Jesus being at the formation of the world, you're like, well, wait a minute. Like, there's something more to this than just God, the Father, if you will. Um, the redemptive qualities, uh, I mean, the redemption that comes through Christ, uh, the sustaining. I, I thought that was such a beautiful language when I was preaching on the connection with uh, um, the Kintsugi bowl, right? Taking that which is broken and mending it together because in scripture it talks about that God holds things together. And that's such beautiful language of like what a caring God that we have that will hold us together and um, sustains us. Like that's very interesting language that we do rely on the substance of of God. We do rely on God to sustain us. That makes sense. But it's um, you think of the, when you think of the prophecies. I mean, 
the fulfillment of, right, when Jesus said that I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? Talking about the fulfillment of prophecy. Even when Christ was on the cross, you know, those old, <laughs> old Jesus movies, right? I, I love the, like the Charleston Heston, like, era, right? When Jesus is on the cross and he's saying, it is finished, like how powerful that is. It is finished, right? It is the fulfillment of prophecy. Like this is, this is, you're going to see Satan. <laughs> you're going to see on the third day what's really going to happen here. And it's just, even the, um, what was it, the, when the uh, Roman guards were casting lots on Jesus's garment. It actually says that was a fulfillment of the prophecy. And you're like, what? That was that was very strange. Like, that's so specific. <laughs> you would think, you know. But um, yeah, when you see Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy through the Old Testament, you're talking about a hundreds of years. Death. I mean, so I've got our third verse. I know we're hitting the hour mark, but um, if it's okay with you, I wouldn't mind keep going. We can keep this going and. Let's turn to, it's going to be Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 12, on page 1,189. That's why I say it's about an hour. <laughs> Hebrews four twelve. I'm at Hebrews 3.12, no, 4.12. All right, are we ready? It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let's read verse 13 as well. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Ooh, that is some scary language. Everything will be exposed. Oops. Ah, I didn't mean to drop the Bible here. So we find, we find another title for God's word, right? The word of God, which is probably the most common <laughs> Right, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, right, the Holy Bible, the Word of God, that's probably the most common one that I personally use, but it's important that we realize from this verse that the Word of God being living and active. When we think about I wanna I wanna put this up here, this image. This idea of the Bible being a right double-edged sword, if you will. I want this to really stick out to us because when you read and study the Word of God and you learn more about what God's Word says, you'll find, maybe you've ran into this, if, if not, praise God, if you have, then you'll understand. You'll see people take the Bible out of context, right? You'll see people t take something and it's blatantly like not even not even close to what the word of god says but the bible is a it's a weapon and when you look when you hear when you think of it like that right when it's sharper than when it's sharp and it's penetrating 
Well, like any tool or any weapon, it can be used for good, it can be used for evil. When Jesus goes up into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, well, did the devil quote scripture or not? The devil quoted scripture. What, what, is that, what does that mean? <laughs> it means the devil can read, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think people... I think when we think of the devil, we tend to either give him way too much power or we give him too little power. It's of finding that balance there. But knowing from the 40 days in the wilderness that Satan, the devil, can read and can quote scripture is a very scary thing to think about. That the devil's like, oh, well, scripture says this, Jesus. What are you going to do about it? And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? I'm going to rebuke you, Satan, but it is knowing that obviously Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, is going to not fall into temptation or not fall into sin, if you will. Um, There's also that other side, knowing that the devil can quote scripture, but he will quote it out of context, if you will. And that's something when we think about the devil being a liar well it's the misquoting of scripture and and when we look at this image of a sword if you will it is the reminder that the bible is a weapon and you we must be careful when we use the bible it's no different when like if you're looking at c.s lewis to saint francis or charles spurgeon or any writer theologian You have to make sure that what they're writing is in line with scripture. And that certainly is a challenge because there's a lot of popular authors, right? They'll just say what they want. And sometimes you just have to at least be mindful because, again, it goes back to this, that the Bible is a weapon. It's a tool that we can learn how to use the tool, right? We think of living and active, right? We... Think of that imagery, right? It's, it's a good representation. It can do damage to the enemy, but it can also do damage to fellow believers if we are not careful, right? That's why when you're learning how to use any tool, you would need to make sure that you know how to manage it very well. The Bible is no different with that. So yeah, like any weapon or any tool, we must come to realize we just have to be mindful of the word of God and, you know, Sometimes when someone is preaching something, you, you might feel a weird way. <laughs> you ever had that feeling before? You're like, I don't know if that's accurate. It might be by mistake. It might be intentional. If you ever get that feeling, check your Bible. Sometimes the Spirit will move you and be like, yeah, okay, that, that didn't sound right. And, yeah. and I would say when, when we look at this verse, when we're talking about, um, where is that in the verse? of joints, the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It's that last part. And the discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Ooh. (laughs) Not only are we talking about discerning the thoughts and intentions of other people's hearts, but also your own. Because further in that next verse, it's saying everything that is, basically everything that's in darkness will be brought to light, right? Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> Nobody likes that, right? The intentions of my heart are going to be brought to the service to the Lord. But 
that's what we call conviction though, right? It's the exposure of that which is not holy or that which is not godly being brought to you. That's what we're talking about, right? Discerning the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. What is the heart behind what you do? What is the, um, you know, I, I put in here, let me see if I can find it. It's a little bit further along, but. The word of God is so sharp that it penetrates even the most intimate part of our lives. The language that is used is the word of God is that it can separate or divide the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, meaning that's how sharp and how penetrating or how deadly, (laughs) if you will, um, the word of God can be through, let's see, yeah, through the hearing, right? Hearing the word of God being preached, right? The preaching and teaching of God's word, the reading, the studying, the prayer, right? Meditating on the word of God. It can reveal our own motives. It is to say that God will reveal us things about ourselves that we may not even know or understand. So if you want to talk about transformation, turn to the word of God and just allowing for God to work in and through in your life. Um, allowing God to reveal truth to you. Um, but I think also it's God will work, right? When, when we use the word in and through you, well, God will work in your life, right? In how you think. Uh, think of the, um, do not be conformed to the patterns of this age, the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I always thought that was a weird verse. I always thought it should say, the renewal of your heart, like, in my opinion, I would think that would be logically what it would say, but it, it says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I always thought, that's a strange thing, right? Because you're talking about transformation that happens. Well, allow for God to work in your mind. You could also say that allow for God to work on your heart, absolutely, but for that specific verse, it's talking about the mind, Ah, this looks familiar. Didn't we do Romans? Oh, the one that wasn't in your notes. <laughs> um, oh, Romans twelve one. No, it's on the back of your sheet. The back of your sheet. <laughs> the, the the verse right before it. There you go. Romans twelve one. Right. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to pre- present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Remember, we were talking about spiritual of the word, right? Milk of the word. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern. Love that, right? Discerning it is the ability to know what is right from wrong. Discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Part of it is the heart behind what you're asking. Part of it is you asking, right? Um, it's one thing, yeah, it's one thing to ask for a million dollars every day and say, I mean, I know we've all prayed that prayer. Let's be honest here. (laughs) God, I want a million dollars. I'd like a, you know, but, um, you know, when we think of prayer, you know, it's asking the Lord to help you find something. I don't find any wrong in that. Um, you know, asking the Lord to intervene in someone's life. I think that's perfectly fine. It's, it's really a balance of prayers, you know, being thankful for what um, God has given to you, you know, 
Um, I, I always encourage people to go out in nature and look at all the trees and a sunrise or a sunset. I remember when I was in Hawaii, seeing the Hawaiian sunrise and saying the prayer of thanksgiving to God was, that was a very common thing that I did during that time. Um, but that's not to say you shouldn't thank God for a sunrise wherever you are, though. Um, it's, it's a reminder that um, you having another day of life is a blessing. Um, so thanking God, asking God for healing in your life or asking God to heal those who are sick. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, when you start treating God like a genie in the, bo- in the bottle, that might be a little bit different. And I, I, unfortunately, I think a lot of people look at God like that, you know, things that are not important, you know. Um, yes, exactly. Um, but definitely just praying for, praying for others, caring for others, um, asking God for um, sometimes praying before meetings, you know, praying before a decision's being made. It could be a small decision. It could be a large decision. Hey, God, I am about to, you know, think of um, taking this, going to this college. Let me know if I need to go to this college or not. You know, we've been talking about this idea with the sharpness of God's word. Um, it, Ephesians, this is on your last page of your notes. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 I love this one because it just reminds us of the language when we're talking about um, the sword, right? From the word of God. And that is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's very powerful language, right? And there's much we've covered tonight. I know this is a little bit longer than we've done, and that's fine. We've talked about the implanted word, right? We have to consider the soil when we hear the word of God. Are we ready to allow for God to work in our lives, right? To have that knowledge to make a decision for him. Are we going to allow for the implanted word to help us grow in the faith? We talked about the spiritual milk of the word, right? The spiritual, the reasonable word being of the word. That we go from being children of um, being babies, drinking milk, knowing the basics, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I mean, how much more basic can you get, you know? Um, good reminders, going into more solid food, right? And talking about uh, the mysteries of the Christ. Um, one of my favorite proverbs is, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of, con- of kings to reveal a matter, which talks about how God will hide things in his word. And the glory of kings is the receiving glory like a king, right? When you think of a king's bounty to discover a matter, to find connections or find truths in the word of God. You know, that should be our pursuit. Ever since being a Christian, giving my life to the Lord, I thought, well, shouldn't I read the Bible? And I still have that mentality today where when someone asks me, oh, well, what, what theologian do you subscribe to? And I'm like, I mean, the Apostle Paul, you know, maybe the, <laughs> maybe the Peter, you know. And I just, 
and I know it's, it's a very difficult question because they they're just saying so they're well read through the history of the church and and you know what what did what was the thought process in the 1800s compared to the turn of the century I get it and there are good things that they've written I don't deny that but I feel that if you have verses like that that the glory of God is to conceal a thing and the glory of kings is to discover that thing it's like go where the, <laughs> I'm not going to say go where the money's at, but go where the, go digging, if you will. Go mining in God's word to find truth from it, as opposed to, well, um, now there might be things that theologians and writers have discovered. Sure. I mean, that's fine. Um, I'm not anti-theologian. I'm not anti-writer. No, there's certainly good things to find, but I just don't, I personally don't put that as an emphasis so much. You know, I mean, I guess if I have that random day, oh, what did Charles Spurgeon say about the mystery of God? I mean, I guess, but <laughs> I'm more interested on, well, what does God mean when he says this, you know? Um, but that's that's me personally. I know some people will disagree with, um, some people I've met will disagree with that. But, um, yeah, keeping keeping to study God's word. And what's interesting is this is just the titles of the word of God. So when I mentioned we've been going over a Bible study on the Bible, like we're just talking about the title, <laughs> you know, we're not even, and we've only gone over three of the, I think it's eight or nine verses that we've had. And the most difficult one was the idea of the implanted word followed by the spiritual milk. Um, the Hebrews one is good, right? When you're talking about how sharp the word of God is. So we talked about that. And when we open our hearts to what God's word has to say, it changes us. From an unbeliever hearing the word of God, it gives us the knowledge of Jesus Christ, who he is, how he's fulfilled prophecy, his significance in our lives. We hear about faith comes through hearing and I think sometimes we forget that's a basic tenet of the faith that I had to be reminded on. It's like, well, how do people come to faith? They have to hear the word of God. They have to hear the good news of the gospel. They have to hear that Jesus came, right? Just like I mentioned, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me. So that's, that's simple. The word of God gives us knowledge of Christ and it moves us to the point of believing in him and receiving salvation. God's word is powerful. It leads us to him. It leads us closer to him. And it moves us. It stirs our heart to action. God can do amazing things in our minds, our hearts, and it has the ability to transform our life, our lives. So what I want you to do in closing is I want you to take a moment and reflect on one thing you can apply to your life this week. Um, if you have any questions or if you want to take time to pray or reflect, I'd like to just leave that open for you. And uh, just take a few moments and then we'll close out in prayer. All right, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your love for us. I pray that tonight you are with us as we go from this place. May you inspire us through your word and 
just in our everyday living. I pray for transformation. I pray for growth. I pray for reconciliation and restoration. For Father God, you love us so much. You loved us first, and you knew us before we were born. You loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. For your son, Jesus, is the Christ, the Messiah. We ask that you transform our minds and our hearts. Let your word be preached. Let it be taught in this church. And we pray that people may come to know who you are. May they come to know your love. May they live and love like you. But first and foremost, may they come to make a decision for your son, Jesus Christ. May they believe in you and receive the gift of salvation And may you work in and through them to live lives that are glorifying and honoring and pleasing to you. You breathed your life into us just as you breathed your life into your word. We are in awe of who you are and what you have done for us. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We glorify you. We honor you. Thank you for all that you've done and all that you've continued to do. Be with us as we go from this place. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.